Hello and welcome to our pricing podcast series with the Professional Pricing Society. My name is Megan Ford with the Professional Pricing Society. Today's featured interview topic is machine learning and pricing with special guest and featured pricing expert, Mr. Alex Chartis of perfectprice.io. Before we begin today's topic and discussion, I'd like to share a little bit about Alex Chartis. Alex Chartis is also a featured workshop presenter during our upcoming 28th annual Spring Pricing Workshops and Conference event in Miami, Florida. It'll be held this spring. We're excited to invite everyone to attend. For more information, please visit thepricingsociety.com. Alex will be leading a breakout workshop entitled Machine Learning and Pricing. About more he will share on this podcast. Alex along with his partner, Young and Shen, founded PerfectPrice.io after being former Drawbridge colleagues. They spent years optimizing billions of ad and search results and ultimately decided to create their own business solutions for companies. They provide a unique understanding of business challenges with technical know-how and, of course, pricing expertise to provide one-of-a-kind pricing optimization solutions for companies. For more information, please visit perfectprice.io, and also you can read more about their software solutions as well. Now we're going to get started with our interview with today's featured pricing expert, Mr. Alex Chartis, to learn more about machine learning. Alex, we're so excited to have you on today's pricing podcast. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me, Megan. So let's jump right into it. What exactly is machine learning? Well, it's a great question, and it's a question we get a lot. Um, so machine learning is a, is a new kind, a relatively new kind of way of building models and, uh, and analyzing data. The big difference is that traditionally, when you wanted to understand something, you'd, uh, you'd, you'd use more traditional tools of modeling, which meant a human would go in and try and figure out what features were important and, and build a model, maybe a linear, linear regression or some other method. Uh, to understand and explain the phenomenon you were seeing. So, you know, whether that was um, what demand was for, you know, a particular kind of airline ticket, how your, um, you know, how your customers were similar or different in the segmentation strategy, um, and a lot of other things. And, and what machine learning does is it, um, it essentially feed, it is a, a method of feeding the raw data to a machine and having that machine try and figure it out on its own. And so instead of explicitly saying, I think weekends are a peak time and our prices should be higher, or I think business customers show up in the mornings, you feed the raw data into uh, the infrastructure, machine learning infrastructure, uh, and it figures out that you know your prices should be higher on weekends or your prices should be higher in the mornings without knowing necessarily that that was a, you know, a particular segment. And it can also figure out um, things like what your segments are based on, based on transactions. You, know, you might think, people who buy a certain thing are a certain type of customer, um, and it can deduce that on its own. And so it's, it's a new thing, um, relatively new thing for um, mainstream business, but it's been in use for the last 15 to 20 years um, by companies like Google, Microsoft, uh, Facebook, and, and, and the ad industry, the digital ad industry, because um, they deal with volumes of data and um, need to make decisions more quickly than, than humans have time to analyze them using traditional methods. Thanks, Alex. So again, another follow-up question, of course, would be, <laughs> what exactly are the biggest challenges in the industry that currently pricing 
industry businesses and brands are facing. Yeah, we get this a lot. And that's one of the reasons why we started this company. Uh, you know, the biggest challenge that is facing uh, pricing professionals today uh, and, and many other types of people is is big data. Uh, you know, now uh, with, with the amount of data companies are generating, given that a lot of them are now selling digitally, um, you know, they're selling in more markets at more price points, uh, more more products than ever before. Uh, it's just very hard to keep track of it all. And it's, it becomes much harder to get insights out of this, you know, what some people are calling data lakes or data oceans. Um, it, you know, and related to that, one of the one of the big technologies that can help with that is machine learning and artificial intelligence. And artificial intelligence is, um, you know, a lot of artificial intelligence is really relying on machine learning as the underlying technology. And and so those those technologies are able to make sense of these data lakes without, um, you know, without a human having to wade through literally billions and billions of rows of data in some cases. Um, you know, that, uh, you know, the, the result of that is, you know, the, the changes that are happening is that there's a lot more awareness um, of the needs of people like pricing professionals uh, by investors. So, you know, people are recognizing that there are these unmet needs in uh, parts of industry that haven't really had software solutions before. And so, you know, one of the things that, that we've built is a, a software as a service solution to solve some of these problems as a, as a you know, comprehensive solution for this. And, uh, and, you know, investors are going to fund more companies like ours um, because they're, they're seeing the needs uh, of, of people like pricing professionals um, differently. Uh, you know, and finally, I think when you talk about large enterprises, you know, most large enterprises have traditionally bought servers themselves and hosted them behind their firewall and, and um, you know, and, and, you know, work with SAP, Oracle, uh, you know, the big the big vendors. Uh, and, and that's changing. I mean, Oracle now is, is very cloud focused. You have Salesforce, which is which has become a major player even in, in the Fortune 100. And so, you know, as as these companies or become more comfortable with SaaS solutions, um, you know, that's opening up their employees, the, you know, the professionals that, that run those companies to a lot more solutions and a lot more fully fledged solutions than they've had in the past. Thank you, Alex. So a question that may be on the minds of many is um, we're hearing a lot about artificial intelligence more recently than not, particularly within the pricing industry, even as, as a means to, um, or as a burgeoning technology. So do you think that it would replace revenue managers or ultimately have a place to, or a lane to replace pricing professionals? No, I mean, that's, that's an easy one. And, and I say that having thought myself at first that, the, that it would, but, but absolutely not. Uh, and for a few structural reasons. Um, first, just where it is in, in the technology evolution. Um, when, you're, when, you're, when you're serving advertisements, uh, or when you're um, dealing with uh, search results, you can be much more wrong than you can with something like pricing and, and a lot of the operations uh, issues that pricing professionals deal with. So if, if your search results on page four or two, right, people will still find it. They'll still click on it. You'll eventually learn from that and fix it. But with pricing, you still need you, you still need people to be involved because if you, you know, get a forecast really wrong and that changes the utilization of your factory or the utilization of your fleet or your airline, like it doesn't, you know, the, the consequences are much, are much larger. Um, so the technology itself can, is incredibly capable and can do a lot, but it can't do everything. Um, 
you know, second, you know, I think that one of the big things about AI is that it, it has the ability to enhance people and, and their, but not only their productivity, but what they can do. Um, and it does that by calculating a lot of things that it would have taken them too long to calculate. And so they never, you would never do. And so one of the things that, one of the examples we like to use is a car rental company. We work with a lot of car rental companies, you know, even a, even a company with, you know, 20 locations and 10 different vehicles at each location um, isn't actually a very large car rental company, but you know, you're already dealing with 365 times 10 vehicles times 10 locations, probably times four different prices per day times 300, you know, uh, you have to price everything every day. So 365 days a year, um, it becomes really, really complicated. And, um, and uh, AI machine learning can, can much more efficiently calculate all those, uh, all the, you know, supply and demand and, and uh, elasticity curves. Um, you know, that said, uh, you know, even companies like Uber, uh, which uses AI machine learning heavily, um, still need to carefully supervise it, right? I mean, if you have a snowstorm, uh, and it shuts down the roads, you've got to do something about that data because that data is not going not to inform the next year, that day the next year is not going to be a day with no rides. Um, so there's, um, there's this need for kind of you know, bumpers, if you will, or, or supervision for uh, any AI system. And, and you know, as, as a, finally, as, as AI becomes widespread, people are going to go back and enhance it by doing better. And so if you look at, um, if you look at what's happened with chess and with go the sort of games that are popular for for ai systems to to try and beat humans at the best human and the best machine playing together um will always be a human or a machine and so you know there's there's this notion that it's it's not just a human playing on its own it's not just a machine playing on its own but it's the creativity of the human and the math of the machine that really create the, the winning team. And, and we'll see that, I think, in pricing and in a lot of other industries as well. Great answer. And that explains a whole lot. So how will business owners or brands in general know that they're getting the most from their data? How is it able, how are they able to tell they're getting the most ROI? That's an interesting question. I think people today look at look at Amazon and think, oh, well, they, they get everything they can out of their data. You know, they're so smart about data. But that hasn't actually always been the case. Back in the early 2000s, 2003, 2004, Amazon wasn't getting everything they could out of their data. Um, and they undertook an initiative to warehouse their data and, and start to extract value from it um, because they realized that they were leaving a lot of knowledge essentially and money on the table. Um, I think today very few companies are getting much out of their data. A lot of the companies we speak with talk about how um, you know they focus their models uh, and their pricing on on purchases, you know, actual purchase orders and, and transactions. And you know in, in e-commerce, if you have a one percent conversion rate, you're doing pretty well. That means that if you're only looking at that one percent that bought, you're throwing out 99% of your data. Um, so, you know, in general, we find that companies are not using their data um, and it's, that's okay, right? I mean, everybody needs to have that realization that there's value in it. Um, and, it, you know, if, if Amazon screwed that up at the beginning and, and, and write it itself, it, everybody can. Um, you know, I, we have a few questions that we suggest people ask. Um, you know, one of the first ones is, can all of your employees access your data, right? Are they, are they able to ask a question and go get an answer on their own? 
Um, you know, and the second one is, you know, are there are they able, are your employees able to answer the questions they need to answer every day? Um, I think uh, I think there's some companies, and this is the third thing. There's some companies that are okay with questions coming up in meetings and saying, ah, we don't know. But if it's an important question, you sh you should be able to. If it can be answered, you should have an answer to it, right? And so, not not that you should go out and do three months of work to get that answer, but can you have a an infrastructure, a data strategy in place that makes those answers quick and easy for people who are asking them to answer themselves? Um, and and yeah, you know, I mean, I think you know. Finally, some of these questions are maybe a waste of time, but if if the answer to one of them might have a huge payoff, you know, is that is that an easy question to answer? Or is the barrier to answering that question just too high for anybody to bother? Thanks, Alex. Our next question comes specifically about um, the pricing industry yet again. So. We wanted to know what your thoughts about the pricing industry's evolution. So what do you think about pricing careers changing within the industry? So specifically, your views of how pricing careers are going to evolve, especially with the advent of um, AI intelligence, we just mentioned, and other technologies. That's a really interesting question. Uh, you know, I think, I mean, we're very sensitive to the concerns people have about, you know, AI and machine learning replacing them, um, which, you know, again, isn't going to happen. But that isn't to say that it isn't going to change the industry. Uh, so, you know, one of the things that's going to happen, I think, is that pricing is going to become a very hot and popular industry. Um, that's, you know, that's because these technologies are available and that with those technologies will bring change. And we're just at the beginning of that cycle. Uh, that may also be just because, you know, of the, the overall cycle of the economy, you know, getting much hotter and, and 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 growing much faster there's just a lot more opportunity for growth and pricing can be a big driver there uh, i think that um you know people whether they're investors or, or managers executives um, are realizing how important making data-driven decisions are and um you know before it was okay to say hey i just you know that's my gut like i've been doing this 25 years and i i think we should do x um but today you know that Amazon data-focused culture and Google and um, really every you know all the leading companies uh, in in public and private today are, are really focused on data and so you know it's not good enough to say oh I you know I just feel I've been doing this for a while I feel like that's right you you know you have to have data to back that up and and that's true in pricing as much as it is anywhere else so you know career-wise uh, I think what you'll see is um, you know, as especially in the B2B sales world, as sales funnels become more scientific, become more optimized, you know, using insidesales.com, using these other tools, you know, to really, you know, aggressively manage and optimize that, um, you know, that lead to cash flow. Um, it, it gut feel just doesn't work anymore, right? You can't, you, that, you know, if you have 100 salespeople, you can't have five of them out performing because they're, they're pricing on gut and that's working better than the other 95 like you need all 100 to to perform at the same level so you know that's that's a big change that i think will really create demand for pricing professionals and also help pricing professionals uh do their jobs better because people will be more focused on the data which i, I realize has always been a challenge um getting senior salespeople to be okay with that um you know and i think i think it's pretty clear that in in b2c companies you can see that's already happened so um you know, at, at the last uh, Pricing Society conference, there's a great talk 
um, you know, by the head of pricing at Nike about how Nike realized that culturally being blind on price um, was really hurting, wasn't fitting with their core values and was letting down their customers. Um, and I think you'll see that really extend into um, other industries beyond B2C uh, and that'll create opportunities for pricing professionals. It'll also make it make people more uh, open to their ideas and using some science and some math to make decisions. Thank you, Alex. So let's stay in the same vein or a similar vein. We know that pricing is very important to many companies and is considered by most, especially within finance and marketing, as a core competency. Should I or should brand owners build machine learning or, or artificial intelligence um, and their capabilities in-house? Is that even an option or should they outsource? This is really a question for those within the industry. So again, should brand owners or business owners utilize machine learning or artificial intelligence capability in-house or should they outsource or get a vendor to provide that? That's an interesting question. Um, you know, and as a vendor, I, I'll try and be as impartial as I can. Um, the, the first, the, that question assumes something pretty big and that assumes that they could build it in-house. And I don't say that because we're a vendor, I say that because there are only a couple hundred people in the world who are actually able to build systems like this that work really well. Um, and so, you know, you see, if you search LinkedIn for the for the title data scientist, you'll see a very large number of people. But, you know, if you go look at the companies that hire the, you know, the people that are really great at machine learning and AI, there's, there's a handful of them, um, you know, and those people like to work with their peers at Netflix, at Amazon, you know, at Google, at Facebook. Um, and so, you know, even GE and Walmart really struggle to hire top talent. Um, and uh, it's impossible to overstate how important it is to have really truly top talent building these systems because um, the second rate, uh, the people who don't, who don't fully understand the technology are, are not gonna deliver solutions, period. Never mind solutions that, you know, compile and run, but they just, you won't get the optim, you won't optimize the way um, a, a well-built solution could uh you know and so so if, if ge and you know other you know walmart and other huge names struggle to hire um the right people then um you know then 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 how, how can anybody outside of the sort of the big tech industries tech industry companies so second i think um is a time to value question so you know if you're if you're thinking about doing this and you know you could work with a vendor and have a solution uh, you know, live or, or being piloted in three to, you know, anywhere from one month to six months, depending on your industry and the uh, and the challenge you're facing and whether there's a truly off the self shelf solution or not. Um, you know, you could be, you know, you could be live in, you know, three to six months and in, a, in, a, in an industry with serious legacy software, maybe nine months or 12 months. If you try and build it yourself, chances are in six months, you won't have found the right people. Right. So, you know, assuming you could even hire them, it's going to take you a few months to assemble the full team of, you know, around 10 people to manage the Hadoop, you know, the, the, the data center, the cluster to manage the, the build the models, manage the infrastructure, build the, you know, and so you're six months in, you've, you know, you spent um, a quarter of a million to half a million dollars on, on, on recruiters to hire those people and you don't have anything to show for it yet. And, then they're building from scratch. And so, you know, if you pick the right people, it's still going to take them, you know, four to six months, uh, possibly longer 
to have the infrastructure set up um, before they're even delivering anything. And so, you know, some of it's a, you know, some of it's a, I recognize that some companies really want to invent things themselves. Um, but I think that it's, you know, this space in particular is, is unusually challenging in that respect. And that doesn't even count, you know, what data does that vendor bring to the table? What know-how about the industry does that vendor bring to the table? You know, what um, benchmarking or, or third-party data or other, um, you know, uh, economies of scale and network effects that that vendor might have. Um, that's just you know as if you built something yourself. Simple build per spot um, is a pretty is a pretty tough call. Um, and I, I just I just, I also say like I think if you can do that by all means, uh, if you think you can try right. I mean I, I, you know it's it's not. Uh, we've talked to a lot of companies, and this even frankly happens at Amazon Web Services, AWS. You know. They'll have companies that say, oh, we want to do this ourselves, and they'll go do it, and then they'll come back. So, you know, I think um, if you're not sure, if you don't feel like you want to partner with somebody, like, go try it yourself and have that experience. Uh, and if you're successful, great. Um, you know, we're always happy to advise, and our blog has a lot of really useful knowledge that you can apply in that um, in that effort. But um, but we think once, you know, once people try it, the vast majority won't be able to, to get the results they want. Thank you. So again, another follow-up within that vein. Well, what point, at what point should larger enterprises be, you know, be concerned with building their own solutions? Yeah, I think, you know, I think, again, I, I encourage people to really consider it seriously, um, you know, before you even go out to vendors, because I think vendors, um, you know, may, you know, it, it may seem like the easy course and it may be tough to get momentum internally. Um, an example that I like to go back to is Airbnb. So um, Airbnb was our first pitch. We hadn't even raised money yet. You know, we were just a couple guys with this idea that you could apply machine learning to pricing, that peer-to-peer -peer marketplaces was an interesting place to do that. Um, and, uh, and, you know, we went in and talked to senior management at Airbnb. They liked it so much they hired 10 people and built it themselves. Um, and uh, and I, I respect that. I think if I were at Airbnb, and I may have made the same decision. And the key difference there um, is that, you know, they have a brand that's huge in the tech world. They're in San Francisco and they had access to that right talent. Um, and they had, you know, at the time, something like half a billion dollars in the bank um, to spend on that talent. Um, and so, you know, they, they published stuff on it. They're sort of a great contributor in the space. They've open sourced a bunch of the stuff that they did. Um, but, you know, as much as I wish that they had, you know, signed and used our software instead of building their own um i think it was the right move for them and so you know there are um you know there are some companies that you know they can check all those boxes that have the capital that can attract the talent that can retain the talent um you know that i that where i think where i think building internally can make sense um you know that said if they'd worked with us i'm sure they would have had a great solution um as well so um, you know, and, and by the way, if you want to follow up on that, um, if you Google AeroSolve, uh, A-E-R-O-S-O-L-V-E, or look at the Airbnb's blog, Airbnb's blog for, for pricing, um, they, they published a bunch of really interesting results and open sourced um, how they did it. So. Thank you, Alex. And we've got two more questions. We want to know your thoughts about um, pricing analysts. What role do you think the pricing analysts will morph into in the near future? 
Yeah, I think, I think that's a great question, especially in light of sort of your earlier question about the, the future of careers uh, for pricing professionals. Um, so pricing analysts are going to continue to be vital. Um, I think the big change is that a lot of the really sort of rote, boring stuff will be more automated. Um, and so they'll, they'll spend their time more on uh, a couple things, you know, um, primarily on, uh, on, on, on looking backwards, right? Were the you know were things working the way they were supposed to? You know, did did we anticipate this or that? You know, is it getting it right or not? And making adjustments going forward, um, and then making adjustments for unusual events going forward. Because even at the Ubers of the world, you know, your snowstorm, your Super Bowl, like there are unusual events that have to be addressed, and the only way to do that is with people. So, pricing analysts, I think, are going to have a more fun time because they're going to be working on the more interesting stuff while the more rote, boring, um, you know, data collection, cutting and pasting, that sort of thing is, is going to go away. Um, and then, uh, you know, and then I think um, uh, there's also going to be a big, uh, uh, you know, a, a lot of need for change management and training, right? So if you have that sales team, you know, they're going to, uh, uh, they're going to have these tools in front of them much more frequently. It might hopefully become part of their workflow. Um, they need to be, trained on that, they need to be managed on that, they need support of those tools because they're not going to understand the, at least not at first, understand the science beneath them. And and in rolling out any pricing strategy, as, as everybody listening to this probably knows, the, the human side of it is by far the most important. You have to, you know, you have to really deliver for those customers and get by internal customers and get buy-in from your internal team, whether that's, you know, the marketing team in a B2C world, whether that's the sales team in a B2B world, um, and pricing analysts are going to have a um, you know, a big, a big role in that and being sort of the face of that analysis. Um, well, you know, in the background, they're going to be managing those exceptions and, um, and doing a lot more strategic thinking than they have in the past. Um, so I hope that, hope that answers your question. It did. Thank you, Alex. So we've got one more question. And thank you so very much for participating in this awesome chat. Our final question for today would be, your thoughts about the pricing landscape five years from now. What are your thoughts regarding the composition of pricing teams in the near future? Well, I think a couple of things are going to happen, uh, and it really depends on the industry and the application. Um, so I think for B2C companies, you know, companies selling direct to consumers, airline rental car, um, you know, even e-commerce, uh, you'll see a real shift towards what I call real data science, and that's PhD type people um, building scalable systems, uh, you know, that are, that are really calculating the probabilities and, um, and demand curves and, you know, and, and managing consumer behavior proactively. So not just trying to capitalize on what consumers are doing, but to actually use data science to influence what consumers do. Um, and that's what Amazon does. It is what Netflix does. Uh, I think a lot more large companies will do that. Um, and I think companies where that's spread out to, uh, individual business units or, um, you know, or, you know, uh, spread out around the world, um, you know, it will consolidate it in one group because you don't need a lot of PhDs doing that differently in each division. You need one really great team centrally. And so, um, you know, I think, I think that'll be the trend in, in, in the B2C world. I think for B2B companies, um, I think you're going to see more automation uh, and more focus on getting data um, into the tools uh, that salespeople and marketers are using. Um, and so that, that means that, um, 
for the sort of pricing professionals, um, you know, they're they're maybe going to be more embedded with sales. Uh, they're going to have a lot more responsibility in the future. Um, and the data, that their, their, their work product, their output isn't going to be this annoying bureaucratic step that you have to go through to close your deal. It's going to be part of your day-to-day, -day, you know, in your Salesforce dashboard, in your uh, configure price quote tool. It's just going to be in front of you all the time. And so, so they'll much, be much more high profile, um, drive a lot uh, more results as a result of that. Um, and, you know, hopefully I think have a bigger impact overall. Um, so, you, so things like uh, one distributor we talked to, um, really smart guy, you know, built a, uh, a, a more than $100 million a year business uh, right out of college. And, you know, I mean, he, he's like, I have this rule where if people want to do uh, sell for less than a 10% margin, they have to get my permission. And guess what? Everybody sells for 10% margin because they don't have to come get my permission. Um, but sometimes maybe it should be 12 or 15, right? I mean, who said 10% was right? And um, and I think as, as, as the data science gets better and infiltrates these companies and pricing becomes more important to everybody as a science, um, you know, pricing analysts and the pricing team is going to have a bigger impact throughout. And you'll, you'll migrate completely away from those kind of gut-based, you know, puristic type decisions like 10% or get the CEO's permission and everything will be based on science and, and that'll all be coming from the pricing team. Thank you so much, Alex. You gave us awesome insight, especially about machine learning and the pricing industry. So as we close with this awesome podcast, I wanted to give you an opportunity to tell listeners where they can find you and learn more about your company. Sure. Thanks, Megan. So we're uh, online at perfectprice.io. Um, we have a, a blog there that we publish sort of deeper thoughts on the pricing industry and a daily uh, email that gives you sort of one three-minute read a day on pricing science, uh, which a lot of people find useful. And then, of course, we'll be at the Pricing Society Conference coming up, and we're really excited to be covering this topic there as well. Um, you can also email me if you want directly just at alex at perfectprice.io um, or, uh, or contact me through the website. Thanks, Alex. Again, Alex will be a featured presenter during the Spring Pricing Workshops and Conference in Miami, Florida. For more information and to register specifically for Alex's workshop, please visit us at pricingsociety.com. Thank you again, Alex, for your awesome expertise and for talking with us today in our pricing podcast series. We look forward to seeing you in Miami. Everyone else that's listening, we are excited to have you again. Please subscribe to the podcast series. If you have any questions about pricing or membership, uh, subscribing to our podcasts or webinars and more marketing information, please visit pricingsociety.com where we have all of our information on our fabulous new website for you to view. And stay tuned for another pricing podcast in our upcoming series. Thanks for listening and happy pricing.